It's Tuesday, December 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in another studio, not our usual studio, but joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. You're getting a new studio for Christmas. I'm not getting a Santa Claus for. No, I I absolutely (laughs) did not. What I'm getting is a studio with new lighting, which, as someone who hosts an audio podcast and a weekly radio show, you can imagine how important that is to me. Yeah, here's here's an idea. I'm just gonna throw this out at you, since it's not. Just do a podcast completely in the dark. See if there's any difference. See if there's any difference. See if there's any difference. You know, once you uh, were asked asking the listeners, uh, I was going to London for recommendations of things that I should do, and one of them sent in, and I took them up on this, the idea of going to this restaurant in London, which is completely in the dark. Oh, right. Yeah. And and so you've got a different and somewhat memorable experience of I don't know what food I'm being served and and the it let's not pretend that it really gives you the experience of being blind even for that 45 minutes but it's as close as I've come right memorable and, and they have blind um, waiters and waitresses bring you the food and and bring you to your table because they they know how to how to get around the room of course and um, so you get that. 45 minute hour, whatever it is, handicap. And I don't know if it would make any difference in the podcast, but since you're experimenting with going on the road, you know, right. And since you don't care about this lighting that Santa Claus is bringing you, <laughs> I say try it in the dark. Let's be clear Santa's not bringing me lighting, Steve Broido is bringing me lighting. <sighs> Let's move on. Um, Dow 20,000, as you and I are in this studio taping this, the, the Twitter sphere and Bloomberg Television, CNBC are just staring at the big board, waiting for the Dow to cross twenty thousand. Which I have to say is a little humorous, but we're Americans; we like big round numbers. To the extent that Dow twenty thousand matters at all to you, what do you think of it? Uh, I guess you know, as as boring as our tangent about. Doing podcasts in the dark was, I would say, it, it's infinitely more interesting <laughs> than, than the Dow hitting twenty thousand. Uh, it's a signpost uh, that you go, I suppose, along your way toward whatever your destination is. Uh, twenty thousand means very uh, little in the abstract, uh, but uh, certain media outlets will make it a big psychological thing that that the market is. Trying to as if the market could try to do anything, right? Uh, that that it's it's getting close to twenty, can't quite get there, and there's some sort of story and some sort of drama that you can associate with that. I I don't know. Well, and it's, the and the fact that the bigger the Dow gets in terms of points, the less meaningful those point totals are on a percentage basis, because that's that's one of the things that. Let's face it, percentages matters a whole lot more than points. So, if in fact the story was not, wow, the Dow's going to hit 20,000, which, which means an increase of some fraction of a percent, as opposed to, oh my God, the Dow might rise 8% in a single day. Now you've got my attention. Now, now I'm interested. Yeah, and you can look at it and say, well, when did the Dow first cross 10,000? When did it last cross 10,000? And and use that as sort of a uh, a metric for, all right, what's happened over the last 16, 17 years? I I guess the 10,000 was what, 90? 
97, 98, 98. Something like that. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm sure it's being reported. And But the last time that it crossed 10,000 after it had collapsed in 2008, 2009. So I think 2009 or 2010. You know, you can you can look at where you have been, where you are now, and gain some insight into: Are you prepared for it to take another 17 years for stocks to double, as 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 it might when you exclude dividends? Because of course, the Dow doesn't contemplate the effect of dividends. Um, but I, it's not it's not as dramatic a moment as as those in the media who have to fill up a lot of time. Right? We've only got to fill up. I don't know, like eight, nine minutes on this podcast every every time you do it, right? I mean, we happen to do like 25, 30. Right. <laughs> right. With people only want the first eight. Right. As, as, as you were talking about the Dow, the Dow doesn't include dividends. When you're in the studio, our podcasts um, are only about eight minutes long if you don't include tangents. Right. If you back out the tangents, oh, it's about an eight, nine minute episode of relevant investing information. Those are the dividends. Right. Really. <laughs> Sorry, the dividends. Those are the dividends. Uh, let's move on to, uh, well, frankly, something fun. We're not doing relevant information at all today, are we? We're doing a little relevant information. We're actually going to get to that because I'm going to have you do what Jason and Taylor did yesterday with some with some stock ideas uh, for the holidays. But but something that you and I were talking about yesterday, and I thought could potentially have some business relevance was um, well, it takes us back to last Saturday night on Saturday Night Live. The host for the show was Casey Affleck, uh, the actor and director. And uh, as they are wont to do, Saturday Night Live did a parody commercial. And in this case, it was a parody of Dunkin' Donuts. And it started off, as their parody commercials tend to do, they start off and all the familiar beats of whatever that thing is. They've done banking commercials in the past that seem very familiar. The first 20 seconds seem very familiar to anyone who's seen an average banking commercial or a beer commercial. And in this case, it's very much, oh, it's a Dunkin' Donuts holiday commercial. They're promoting their app and their festive drinks and all that sort of thing. And then Casey Affleck shows up as a sort of rough-around-the-edges Massachusetts native, uh, in, in just wreaking, eventually wreaking havoc in a Dunkin' Donuts location. Again, it's an it's an otherwise polished commercial, and here's this sort of rough and tumble Massachusetts native. And you and I were talking yesterday, and you he's, said he's a Southie. He's, right? he's, yeah, he's got the accent, and he comes by it honestly because he's from Massachusetts. But we were sort of kicking around the notion: well, if you're Dunkin' Donuts, how are you feeling about this? If you're Dunkin' Brands, like, does this harm them in any way? Because typically, Saturday Night Live does parody commercials that are not about actual companies. Most of their parody commercials are about fake companies that may that are that you could substitute, you know, they've done beer commercials for Schmidt's beer, but it could be Budweiser. They've done banking commercials. I don't even remember the bank that makes change. All they do is make change, but it first, might first citywide bank of change. First citywide bank of change, but it, it might as well be Bank of America or Wells Fargo or something like that. This is an actual public company. And uh, well, so I am imagining that this is an idea that uh, Casey Affleck brought uh, to the show. You know that his or or in some sort of discussion, 
He said, "Ah, oh, you know what's really you know getting me is Dunkin' Donuts and how they're how they're trying to bring out the the frappuccinos and and all that and and really that's that's not what Dunkin' is, right? Do you think Casey Affleck went into the writers' room with that fully formed an opinion on Dunkin' Donuts? I, I so he's from Boston, or, right? Right. I mean, and and this is really going after that the sort of the roots of Dunkin' Donuts and its its uh, clientele." up until recently and the attempt by the brand to to expand and they put you know they they highlight this into getting a little bit more starbucks right a little bit more with the the frappuccinos the expensive drinks the expensive drinks which is working for them they they've got an opportunity to go into that but there is uh with those two things uh, uh, the possibility uh, that is that this uh, great commercial and go watch it on YouTube if if you don't haven't already um, is is shining on. Hey, you know what is what is Dunkin' Donuts really? And you may have people out there that grow to dislike this attempt to become more Starbucksy. Uh, and and of course, a lot of the audience wants to be able to go into Dunkin' Donuts and actually get some edible food um, and and real coffee drinks. Uh, and yeah, I would say Dunkin' is still well ahead of Starbucks on on the food side, and they're attempting to catch up on on the you know the higher end coffee drinks. But that brings in uh, a type of client that the character in this commercial <laughs> <laughs> takes issue with. Takes issue with. I, I tweeted it out on the Market Foolery feed yesterday. It's interesting because I think. My first reaction when we were talking yesterday was, well, how will people feel about the commercial? And I think you're raising what is the, 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 the deeper business point, which is, how do actual customers in the Northeast United States, who grew up with a certain type of experience at Dunkin' Donuts, how do they feel about the Starbucksization or the move in that direction? About the business, or how does any company expand to you know an additional part of the market without alienating its core audience? I, I believe that the core audience for Dunkin' Donuts, and you know, my experience is not the, the Boston side, but I grew up uh, outside of Philadelphia, and I worked. I can remember working in Philadelphia and having about a mile and a half walk to work, and passing, I believe, eight or nine Dunkin' Donuts on my walk to work. Uh, and and so Philadelphia's got a, a very similar sort of demographic um, uh, group that that has lived in Philadelphia for for generations as as uh, Boston and uh, you know it's it's a it's a store that 20 years ago was doing something very different from what it now is presenting as like download our app you know be able to order your coffee drink so that you can can get it on your way to work so. Uh, Starbucks and, and Dunkin' Donuts are different enough in so many ways that you know, their their cups, to a large extent, define what their audience is. You go into Starbucks, people have grown tired of, of listening to me whine about the Starbucks cups, but they are awful, right? <laughs> well, specifically the lids. The lid, the the way that the lid fits on the cup, and for that matter, the cup makes no attempt to insulate your beverage, right? It's just paper. It's it's better for the environment. But it does not keep your coffee warm at all, and the lid is terrible. And Dunkin' Donuts, uh, and I, I believe that the, this was talked to them, um, talked about to them at one point. 
hey, you could save a lot of money by going to the paper cups. And the response was, no, we're not doing that because what our audience comes in here for is a huge cup of coffee, which they can then take with them to work, whether, you know, it's the kind of construction worker that we see in this Dunkin' Donuts uh, SNL commercial or, or something else, but they want their hot coffee to stay hot. They don't care about the environment in the way that, you know, Starbucks's customers probably would rebel against non-environmentally friendly cups, or some would. Not, I was going to say you wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I thought that uh, Karen Raskoff, who is the chief communications officer at Dunkin' Brands, the parent company for Dunkin' Donuts, I thought her response to the ad was spot on. Uh, and I'm quoting from a, a written statement. Even as Dunkin' Donuts has grown into a global coffee beverages brand with restaurants around the world, we never forget we have deep roots in Massachusetts, as humorously parodied in the SNL skit. That's perfect. That was. I, I don't know if she word, or someone on her staff wordsmithed that, but I I felt like oh, that's that's the exact response. You know, it's a nod to the humor. You can't get too precious about your own brand. You can't get too offended. But you also remind everyone, yeah, we actually have a global presence. So, good for them. Yeah, they're going, I think the goal is to get up to 30,000 locations, something like that. But about 15,000 in the U.S. and and double that uh, internationally. By the way, 2016, if we're we're just looking at the stocks, Duncan Brands crushing it up 30%. The market in general up about ten percent. Shares of Starbucks down around five percent. So, you know, for the snapshot of 2016, uh, Dunkin' Brands and the shareholders get the last laugh. All right, Christmas time. Same thing as I talked about with Jason and Taylor yesterday. What's what is a stock that you think would make for a nice gift that someone would appreciate over a three to five year time period, and what's a lump of coal stock that? Three to five years, if you gave it to someone, they would come back to you and say, Hey, look, I know you meant well. And what did they say? But yesterday? this thing. Um, uh, Jason talked about uh, TripAdvisor uh, as his gift, and Taylor's was Cognex. And Jason, uh, I thought being a little risky, talking about Snap Incorporated, which is not yet public, but is probably one of, if not the most highly anticipated IPOs of 2017. And I think Jason admitted that this this may not work out in terms of his thesis, but uh, but he has a hard time seeing how it's going to justify its its pre market valuation. And uh, Taylor talked about coal stocks. He follows the energy industry pretty closely, and he felt like coal stocks over the next three to five years probably not going to do that well. He may be right. I think coal stocks over the next three to five years may have a much better time than the last three to five years, although they've rebounded this year. That's a low bar. It's a low bar, but they're still operating on very um, low prices compared to what they once were at. But um, rather than go into whether the uh, next administration is going to successfully prop coal up for some period of time, whether it's three to five years or four years or Whatever. Uh, I would say that uh, the present I would consider giving would be Under Armour, which has had, uh, as a stock, a bad year, and understandably so, as it has seen uh, profits decline, uh, while its sales have continued to be pretty strong. And the struggle that it has right now is 
continuing to grow at that 20 to 25 percent, uh, which is a, a remarkable number, which when you compounds over a number of years gives you uh, the, the kind of growth which has supported the rise in its stock over the longer term. Uh, but it has stumbled in translating all those additional sales into additional profits lately. And so the stock has gotten hit this year enough that I'd be interested in, in leaving uh, uh, the president of some uh, uh, Under Armour, particularly the C-shares, which you've talked about. How much do you think the bankruptcy of Sports Authority hurt them? Well, I think it has hurt them in the short term. Um, again, this is talking about the current profitability for this year, having to mark down some inventory to, to move product, uh, not having Sports Authority as uh, an outlet for that. And that has hurt them to the point where they are down 20, uh, the stock is down 25% for the year. While the company has continued to grow, and it's now going to grow, focus a little bit more on the direct-to-consumer channel, its own stores, so it's not quite as dependent on uh, the retailers, uh, the third parties, and it's it's continuing to focus on the things that which it was behind on and still is behind on: women, international footwear, a lot of opportunities for it to grow. The growth isn't the issue. The the issue is. Are all the investments that they're making to support that growth, which are taking away from current profitability, uh, is is that a permanent thing? And the margins have been impacted, and all of it amounts to what I believe is more of a short-term problem. We're talking about a stock you're going to hold for three to five years, and I think at the end of that period, they're going to have more than sorted out uh, the margin problem. Early January, the Consumer Electronics Show is going on. Kevin Plank from Under Armour is one of the keynote speakers, and we've got a couple of people going out to that. So, uh, interesting to hear what what he has to say, particularly about the connected fitness stuff, because that's I mean, when you talk about Under Armour's investments, they've they've spent a lot of money on that front, and if there's a lot to show for it, they're doing a great job of keeping it hidden. Right. That is one of the things that they are investing in and is impacting their current profitability. And if it's a thing, if that's a real thing, they're going to be able to capitalize on it when the money shows up in the future. And if it's not a real thing, then within... That's just been flushed down the toilet. Flushed down the toilet, and it's been flushed out of the price of the stock. And three to five years from now, if it's not a real thing, they won't be investing in it. So I, I think they'll be in the right spot either way. In terms of a lump of coal stock, what would you? Because uh, let's face it, sometimes people around the holidays, they decide to give gag gifts. This, you know, Because someone listening may think, you know what? I'm interested in the coal stocks, because I, I, the lump of coal stocks, because I, wanna, I just want to punk someone. Well, the lump of, so coal, coal itself might be more of your cigar, cigar butt kind of thing, where it is gotten, uh, where something is doesn't have much life left in it, but it's got one last puff in it. That's the sort of Warren Buffett or uh, Benjamin Graham um, description of you getting a dirt cheap thing, which has not got all that much value, but it's practically free, and you can get that last little bit out of it. So maybe that's where coal is. Uh, a company that I think 
over the next three to five years could just be gone? Is that kind of what we're looking at? Maybe one way sure. of trying to get a coal. How about GoPro? Wow, really? Just gone? Yeah. It doesn't get acquired. It goes out of business. Well, somebody acquires it for pennies on the dollar. For an amount of money that does not make it worth holding on to over the next three to five years. Because what it's it's just a you know, it's a commodity camera company. And the mistake that investors made was thinking that it was not. I mean, most of these things are, whether it's Blackberry, perhaps we'll find out over time iPhone, um, although Apple banked a lot of money. Uh, regardless of whether the iPhone is ever commoditized away or not. Uh, but GoPro, the, the notion that this brand had some spectacular value or that it was doing something technologically that others couldn't copy, you know, I, I just, I don't see it. I don't see it in the results. And, and the, you know, they've messed up on a couple of their models, uh, the timing of bringing them out and the pricing. And at this point, uh, you know, I don't know what the next chapter for the company is, or the stock, but I'm not, I, I, I'm not hoping anybody leaves me some GoPro this Christmas. <laughs> Although, if you want to, hey, you know, you'll just turn. I'll around. just turn around, and turn sell around, it, sell it, buy some Under Armour shares. Yeah, but if I have to hold on to it for three to five years, e. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fool. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to bring some candy and flowers and everything. If berries are pleasing when they're out of season, shake hands with Santa Claus. I love you, I love you, and I'd walk a mile to bring you the berries and watch you smile. Oh, just to share a love like yours, what miracles I could do. I'd make a rainbow chase the storm when the weather gets cold. I'll make it warm. If you want a cottage, I'll furnish the cottage. Shake hands with Santa Claus. I love you, I love you, I give you my all. I'm like a genie and you're begging call. If you do the dreaming, I'll do the scheming. Shake hands with Santa Claus. to win a love like yours I'd follow you to Capri I'd kiss you on the streets of Rome then we'd eat scungeel and fly back home if you want bananas some great big bananas shake hands with Santa Claus oh I love you I love you and I'm gonna bring bananas pianos and everything if you do the dreaming I'll do the scheming, shake hands, shake hands, shake hands, with Santa Claus.